But what Sam Bankman-Fried did was not crypto-specific. Yes, he used crypto, but it, he pretty much just, just did outright fraud, right? It could have been, um, you know, like Bernie Madoff. He could have used cash, right? Uh, so right away, the regulators, a lot of them were pissed off, um, to be frank. Then you, you have your crypto critics and people who want to s- stop crypto and pause crypto, like your Elizabeth Warrens and so forth. Welcome to Unraveling Crypto, where we simplify big and complex ideas in Bitcoin, blockchain, Web3, and tech, while connecting you with entrepreneurs, builders, and leaders building at the edge of innovation. I am Vane, your host. Welcome back to Unraveling Crypto, everyone. Today, I have Tony, and he is a really special um, guest that I have on today that I've been admiring. Um, he also has a podcast, but that has light years of experience with the pod. And I just, first of all, thank you for taking the time and coming on. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's it's my pleasure. Uh, we met in Miami. We talked about, you know, podcasting and crypto, and I'm glad we're able to do this and continue the conversation more in depth. Yeah, I love to start my podcast with just touching like ground, like a little bit of stability. What are you most grateful for right now? You know, uh, it's funny you mentioned that, and um, I've been talking to my therapist about these things. <laughs> um, yes, I do therapy, and therapy is great. It's, you know, your mental health is as important as your physical health. Um, and I've been grateful about, even though, like, let's say the market's down, there's a lot of financial, uh, you know, pain out there with the banking, uh, inflation, recession, and so forth. Just being thankful for the little things in my life. Um, I have a family, I have a roof over my head, I have two cars, um, and that may seem like, you know, whatever, everybody has a car and two cars, whatever, but simple things like that, I've been trying to be more thoughtful and conscious of those things, and that the life I have, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would love to have that, and and we always look at the grass is always greener, we look at people Mm. maybe ahead of us, but I'm trying to be more mindful of uh, the, the 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 nice things I have around me. I may not be a trillionaire or whatever, right? Yeah. I may not have a, a Ferrari or whatever, but I, I'm I, I'm thankful for being living a comfortable life. Wow. I I always love to hear what the, each guest is going to bring. And well, first of all, I also like I'm in the wellness space and I think I shared this with you and I come from that background and I definitely think mental health, getting a therapist, a coach, at certain points in our life, we are going to need them. They are essential. And I actually love to just constantly have someone on my side. And um, that's really awesome. But with the little things, I think sometimes we really forget that those little things are what adds to our life. Like they add up over time. And it's so easy to take things for granted. And when things are going crazy and like, if you are on social media, it's constantly something bad is going on, especially currently in the crypto world and just the whole yeah. world, not really <laughs> just crypto, but outside right. of that. So, so well, thank you. Um, there's another question that I love to start off, and it's, what's your superpower? What's that thing that comes to you most natural? Boy, you know, I, I'm, 
I've been thinking about that as well. You know, uh, I did a self-awareness test of myself maybe about 10 to 12 years ago where I, I tried to figure out the, the same question you're talking about. What are my strengths? What are my superpowers? Mm-hmm. What are my weaknesses? And I figured out some of those things. But, you know, as far as superpower, I, 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 I still think I need to figure that out entirely. But I would say, my wife would say, it's my ambition mm. uh, that I'm very driven. And I've had, had other people say that uh, to me. But I don't think it's clicked for me. And I don't know if that's what it is. But my wife, uh, you know, and, and different people have often said your ambition, your drive to do things and that mm. you're always looking to do better and whether it be financially, physically, or, uh, you know, even re- with relationships and things like that. Yeah. Um, and maybe this is part of this is because I'm an immigrant and I came from nothing. And when my parents and we came to the United States, I lived in a basement and I saw the world around me and I'm like, Hey, I want that. And mm-hmm. maybe that's still in me. Like, you know, Hey, I know what it is to not have anything and, and want to have the, you know, different things here. Um, and I've gotten some of those things, but I still have that drive, I would say. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the thing with the superpower is that I guess the word trips people up a lot and it trips me up. And I feel like the superpower is that thing that is kind of, you don't feel like it's a superpower because it's just something you've done so naturally. And it's like in you, your DNA. So, um, yeah, really excited to just get started. Tell us a little bit about you and, and then we'll dive into the crypto rabbit hole. (laughs) Yeah, sure. So, um, maybe I'll give you a bit of the backstory. I mentioned some of my family. I'm originally from the country Guyana, which is in South America. It's a northern tip of uh, South America. A lot of people haven't heard about it. It's a small country. Yeah. It's a British colony. It's English speaking. Um, and when I say Guyana, a lot of people often say Ghana. I'm like, no, man, uh, Guyana in South yeah. America. So it's not well known. Um but it's a mix of like an Indian population, some black, some Spanish as well. It borders like uh, French Guyana, uh, Venezuela, and so forth. And in the early 90s, my parents and I came to the U.S. Uh, we settled in Queens, New York. So uh, New York has a b- big place in my heart. Uh, the streets of New York, you know, give me a bit of an edge too, I think, growing yeah. up. <laughs> it was certainly, you know, you had to learn how to navigate. There's a lot of things coming at you. Um, but, you know, growing up in the 90s, I've always been into tech and uh, the internet really drew me in, um, and computers as well. I wanted to take apart computers and learn how to build websites. And, um, there was some things I did, which look, I, uh, you know, thank God it didn't <laughs> happen, but there's things I did on the internet yeah. with friends, which I, I can't give details, but you know, I could have went to jail. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was, it wasn't out of a, a place of trying to be a criminal or, you know, do malice or something. It was out of adrenaline in learning tech and gravitating to tech. It just, it got my juices flowing. And uh, I was hooked and I kept, you know, learning and building on that. And even though I went through different industries of like finance and real estate, even the airline industry, um, I came back to tech and Mm -hmm. now I'm in crypto. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I, majority of my career has been digital marketing, doing like SEO, um, and, and social media marketing, video marketing. 
And, uh, and then crypto came along. And of course, right away, that caught my attention. Like, okay, I need to learn this blockchain stuff. I want to code a blockchain. I want to mint a token. Um, and, and of course, being part of tech and so immersed in it, I saw how crypto was going to change the world and it is changing the world right now. Yeah. And then I, of course, started my podcast, YouTube channel that's been growing. And right now I work for OKCoin Crypto Exchange. They're small. They're the uh, sister company of OKX, which is a larger crypto exchange, uh, which is really uh, big in the Asian markets. Mm. And um, yeah, now I'm neck deep in crypto and I live now in New Jersey. Yeah, it's like you live and breathe it now. We all do. <laughs> um, I'd love to dive into your your YouTube show um, channel. And how did... How did it start? Where did that idea come from? I know you said you met, you had experience in marketing and were you video editing before or playing around with YouTube? Yeah, great question. So uh, going back to, let's say, 2007 or earlier than that, I started building websites with like Google Blogspot. I learned about affiliate marketing mm -hmm. and I was making money online with like Google AdSense and ClickBank and Amazon Affiliate. But wasn't making life-changing money. It was like spare money. But through that process of trial and error, I learned digital marketing and SEO. Well, along came YouTube and YouTube started taking off and people were, uh, you know, digesting videos. I'm like, okay, I need to master that. I, mm -hmm. I built websites, I did that, but that, the video part is hard. Um, and even though I learned YouTube SEO, your personality, your content uh, has to be likable or consumable, right? People yeah. have to resonate with it. And I tried to build different YouTube channels. Uh, being in New York, I, I uh, used to go around filming different things in New York, but I, I didn't get that traction. I didn't get that growth. Mm. Um, and I was struggling like, man, I, I want to master this. I want to put, you know, have this notch on my belt that I can do video marketing. And a lot of trial and error. I built some skill sets, right? Even though through the failures, I learned things. So it was just a matter of, okay, what's my next topic? What is something that I'm going to be passionate about that I can talk about? And even though I may not have growth or success in the first few years, I because I'm passionate about it, I can still, you know, go through those grinding times. Yeah. And crypto and blockchain came along, and because I'm <laughs> like a techie, it was like, oh man. Okay, here's my opportunity. Now, there was no guarantee it was going to work. But yeah. in September of 2017, as I was you know, uh, investing in the crypto market, it was becoming hot, I launched a channel. And of course, wasn't getting any type of views, but I kept at it. And it was kind of me sharing my journey and what I've learned. And, and there's other people that was hungry for knowledge and yeah. to understand it. So as I was getting insights and learning about this, I started sharing that. And of course that's started resonating. Um, and then, you know, I started monetizing the channel and then eventually now it's a great source of side income for me. It's helped me be a bit more financially free. And, yeah. um, you know, in the first early days, my wife was like, what are you doing? Why are you spending <laughs> time on YouTube? And then eventually when the checks started coming in, I start, I stopped hearing those comments. Yeah. It was a full support from then on. <laughs> well, I think this is really amazing because a lot of the times when we go on to these content creators and, you know, YouTubers, and they have 100K, even 50K, 200K and above, we start, we think like, 
it's so far off and it's just happened overnight. But time and time again, it's about the consistency and about trial and error. So I'd love for you to explain or like maybe give us a little bit of your insight. Like what would you say if somebody is starting off or is curious about it or has been a little bit in it? Like what what's your advice for anyone wanting to to create with something that they are passionate about? Sure. So um, you mentioned one word there, consistency. You have to be consistent. Mm. Um, that is so critical because let's say you have all the skill sets. Let's say you're a amazing communicator. Like you have the gift of gab naturally, right? If you're not consistent and you're just doing it here and there ad hoc, guess what? No one's going to find you. No one's going to care. So you have to be consistent. You know, it's not always talent, but worth work ethic is Mm. plays a big part of it. So you want to set a schedule, you know, how often am I going to publish and you got to stick to it. Even if the production is not the highest quality. Like my yeah. stuff is not the highest quality. I don't have, you know, there's big YouTubers who pay external editors and yeah. uh, there's a whole system, a whole marketing machine behind um, some of these channels, right? I don't have that, but I make really good side income um, over six figures. I'm not saying that to boast, but to inspire yeah. people um, and consistency. You should also, you know, try to pick something that you're passionate about that, you know, I'm not going to be bored in six months talking about this. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to, uh, you know, not feel motivated to do the content. And don't get me wrong. There's days I wake up like all oh, everybody, right? I don't feel a hundred percent. I feel, oh man, you know, I don't want to do anything today. And I've learned to just push through. And it's, it's the same thing with like exercising. You get through those mental blocks and eventually yeah. it becomes less of a, you know, a burden or a task. And you can push through it. So consistency, pick a topic you're passionate about and trial and error. It's always good to try new things and stay on top of the trends. Mm-hmm. I'll give an example. Um, I, I was not great at creating thumbnails and yeah. I didn't pay somebody for thumbnails. But what I did, I kept researching. What are other YouTubers doing? What are the people on Fiverr who are selling their services doing? Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of reverse engineer and pay attention to what they're doing and you take away okay this looks good i'm gonna try this in the next few thumbnails um and what platforms what tools are they using because there's so many tools out there that automate things and they have templates that make it very easy so it it took like almost a year for me to master that but i had to break out of my comfort zone and break out of the way I'm, you know, normally doing things to try new things. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, I figured out a bit of the thumbnail game here, how to get the attention, how to get the clicks. And, mm. and then same thing with the titles and the tags. Um, the other thing is YouTube is a search engine, just like Google and Bing. Yeah. Um, so you have to use keywords and there are tools out there. I use vidIQ and they're not expensive. You can make a small investment. It's like 10, 12 bucks a month. Um, and think about, you know, people spend that on Starbucks coffee and yeah, (laughs) yeah, sometimes guilty for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you mentioned that people are like, Oh, but it costs so much money. I'm like, okay, tell me how many times you went to McDonald's. Tell me how many times you went to Starbucks and pay nothing wrong with Starbucks, but we're paying a premium for coffee. Right. Yeah. So why not take some of that money and invest it in something that could you could reap the benefits of, and that could grow into a side hustle and side income and side business. Um, 
So definitely get some SEO tools that, that can help you. Yeah. I mean, I think everything you've said is so important and we hear it often and I think we kind of know it, but it's like, it's simple, but it's not easy to do, right? It's not easy to commit to showing up when you don't want to. And I think in the beginning, everything seems shiny and new and exciting and then life happens and then motivation wears off. And then it's like, what, like when you don't have motivation, what's your anchor to put content out there to get yourself in front of a camera? Well, I think of it as I started my mindset that I put towards it. I think of it as a job. And if mm -hmm. I don't show up to my job, I would get fired. If I don't, if I don't have it and I get fired and I don't have a job, I don't get that money in revenue. Yeah. Um, now in the early days now, uh, to at least add context to this in the early days when I wasn't making anything and maybe one month I got 20 bucks from YouTube and, <laughs> and next month I got 50 bucks, but that's, you know, for the level of work you're putting in initially, it's nothing, right? That's less than minimum wage and, and it's peanuts, but you know, think about you, the mindset or the things you have to think about is you're investing in something that can help you get financial freedom with additional income. Also, also what I've learned, and I didn't see this back in the day, I'm building skill sets. Mm, Even yeah. though this YouTube thing may not become anything for me, I'm learning how to do thumbnails. I'm learning how the algorithm works. I'm learning how to optimize and upload and do some editing. And I can take those skill sets and even apply it in the job world, right? Let's say, knock on wood, I, I lose my job, my day, day job with OKCoin. Okay mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I'm having a hard time finding um, a job on the SEO side. I can now, because of my video skills, um, I can go to a company that's specific to that. So yeah. I've expanded my skill sets and um, my understanding of how this world works. And a lot, not a lot of people know that. So you're building your skill sets at the same time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think this is something that's really underestimated. And, you know, one of the things that I really want to highlight is what you said. A lot of the times, and I fall into this trap where it's like, I want everything to be perfect. And if it's not mm -hmm. perfect, I'm not going to release it. And if I don't have the editor, then I can't do it. And you're like the perfect example of you don't need a full team to start or to even keep going. And these are skills that you can learn by like by yourself. And even on YouTube, you can learn so many things about how to edit. And it's it's not easy, but I, I really admire that of you because when I listened to your, to, I mean, I was listening on the way here, but I'm watching you as well. The way that you ask questions and how your guests answers them is so eloquent. And for me, that's someone that I am new to, you know, technical terms, even finance you break it down in very simple ways. And I think that's where the gold is at, at the end of the day. And I mean, you say it's not that great, but what you do is incredible because I, my editing skills are really bad right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I think that's just something that I, I really want to just say and shout out because it can be really daunting to start and you think that you need a whole team, a whole production team, and you really don't. And, uh, just really wanted to highlight that here with you. I appreciate that. And and by no means did that happen overnight. Um, yeah. You know, it took years and a lot of practicing. Look, I, I've, I'll be very candid. I, I've looked in the mirror 
and practice, mm. um, you know, my mannerisms and delivery. And did I screw up? Do I still screw up? Of course. All right. And, and I also study like some of the great interviewers and podcasters um, and what they do and how, you know, their mannerisms and so forth uh, to try to emulate and, and learn from that. Right. It's not that you have to be like them uh, by no means you want yeah. your personality to come through, but um, there is a skill set to it. Right. And, and it is kind of like, once again, going to the gym and working out, eventually you build that muscle and it, uh, becomes easier to lift lift the heavier weights and to do the exercises, but um, you got to you got to start somewhere and even look at yourself in the mirror. I know that sounds weird, <laughs> <laughs> but I've done that. And even in public speaking, um, I know we were talking before the podcast that you know I was the shy kid. I was with sweaty palms, afraid to go up and talk to people, um, and that, that that's part of my maybe the way I grew up and you know the environment I was in being yeah. an only kid as well and maybe my sign and my personality <laughs> right I, <laughs> but I and, and do I still get a bit nervous of course uh, you interview somebody big and it's like okay I don't want to screw this up you know you, you get a bit nervous but you, you push through it right and practice you, you, as you keep practicing it becomes muscle memory and you become more confident yeah, I mean, I would have never guessed you were the shy kid, especially because <laughs> I was we were in a happy hour and I was like in a little corner. I was actually the shy person, the shy kid there. Um, because I felt out of my element. And and then you came in and you had like a big smile, you were so easy to talk to. So it's like really encouraging to know that even if you are considered maybe an introvert or you are more shy or whatever it is, or even maybe you're you know you're not that way, but you're in a situation that puts you out of your comfort zone. It's like you 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 can break out of that, and you it's just practice putting yourself constantly in areas that make you grow. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would have never guessed that you were the shy kid. Um, do you think that that when did that begin to shift for you? Um, the transition from being like shy to shy. more confident. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say part of it, it, it was in different stages of my life. Um, you know, as I entered the, the work field and, um, and this is going back to like the early two thousands, I realized that my shyness was not helping me and I needed mm. to become a better communicator. Yeah. Um, and this is a long journey by the way, because I was, you know, it, it, sometimes it's hard to break through you know, mindsets and, and things that you've experienced for the majority of your life. Um, and I think part of it was also being coming from Guyana and being thrown into the United States, a completely different environment, completely different society and how people interact and, and so forth. Um, so I had to, I was forced to, I would say first, I was forced to, you, you have to adapt to your surroundings, yeah. right? Adapt or die, or you, you're not going to be able to survive. Uh, but then I got into the work field and I think it clicked for me. I don't know why, what clicked for me, but I started looking at people who are successful and how they communicate. And I'm, I'm thankful that happened. I, I started watching, you know, like a Steve Jobs and how he's presenting on stage. And um, he doesn't seem like the most energetic or pump it up guy, but he has a great delivery and explaining things. And um, I started emulating and practicing and, 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 uh, looking in the mirror thing and to help build my confidence up and, uh, you know, get past my insecurities and things like that. Um, and then that journey continued and continued. And then, 
Um, I had some mentors, so I would talk to them um, about these things, uh, former bosses and so forth, and they give me like tips and pointers. And then I also took a public speaking course. I think the uh, Dale Carnegie, if I'm not mistaken. Ooh, yeah, in New York. I, yeah, I, I took I took a public speaking course, and I did, and I went through that. So all of these different things um, really helped. And then putting myself on YouTube also forced me to get better. Yeah, of <laughs> I course. Right, yeah. It's like, <laughs> okay, I'm in the race now. And if I want to get better, if I want to grow, I got to improve, you know? And when was it that when your, your, your channel started to grow? Like, did it kind of like just kind of catch fire or was it like over time and then this is where it's at? Over time. Um, well, let me put it as far as benchmarks with followers. In 2018, it, it started growing. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think I hit like 10,000. But, uh, you know, I still wasn't getting the views. I still wasn't getting the community where I have these uh, community members who are reoccurring, who are fans, if you want to call it that, yeah. that you know they're going to come back and watch. Um I wasn't getting much of that. Now I'm there, right? I know, oh, this guy's going to, I see his comment every video or every other video, this person and so forth, right? You have these folks who are fans and then you have your more passive subscribers. That happens to every channel, right? Yeah. Um, and then in 2019, um, I started getting a good amount because I had gone through a year grinding and grinding and figuring out things. And that I think I jumped to like maybe 20, 30,000 then it jumped uh, in 2020 as well. But I would say I crossed 100 in 2020, 100,000 in 2020. So that was probably the, the point of where I matured um, mm. and, and my skill sets also grew. And then, uh, look, the timing with the market also helps, right? When there's a bull market, there's more yeah. eyeballs, more people, and you get more subscribers. Yeah. I mean, I, I always love hearing stories like this too, because well, one, like I, I met you and I very little can like say I connect with someone that I'm like, they're just great human beings, like great human beings that I just like admire. And I really instantly felt that connection. And not only that, like what you share, how you share it, like I've said it before, if you haven't go and check it out, like I get a lot of my news sources there. Cause you're also like quick you have a quick turnaround when something's happening, you're like there and sharing the information and distilling it and giving it your insights too. So yeah, I, I like, I think everybody should go and, and give you a follow if they haven't yet. And don't want to know more that. about them. <laughs> 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 um, so I kind of wanted to pivot a little bit now um, from the creator mode and into the crypto space and the crypto market. and. Um, I've shared with you my community really there's like a mix of course there's the 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 crypto community that follows and tunes in and then there's the portion that is more crypto curious and it's not too technical really and sometimes I think when it comes to our financial system there's a lot of growth there to to understand and to learn and in the past couple of weeks there's been Lots of happening, mm. lots of lots happening in our space. What would you say, like, are your takeaways from the past couple of weeks? Well, man, it's been crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, I think that goes without saying. It's just been crazy. Well, 
here's here's what I've um, learned and seen, and I've spoken to some folks in the industry. Um, I, I you know some certain sources. One being a former regulator, um, and he now it, it sits on boards of crypto companies. So you had a knee jerk reaction, I think, from a lot of the government agencies after the FTX collapse last year, and many of them feel burned by Sam Bankman Fried. Rightfully so. But what Sam Bankman-Fried did was not crypto-specific. Yes, he used crypto, but it, he pretty much just, just did outright fraud, right? It could have been, um, you know, like Bernie Madoff. He could have used cash, right? Uh, so right away, the regulators, a lot of them were pissed off, um, to be frank. Um, then you, you have your crypto critics and people who want to s stop crypto and pause crypto, like your Elizabeth Warrens and so forth. Yeah. And all, all politics aside, because you, you have... Democrats and Republicans who don't like crypto and vice versa, right? Um, yeah. And then many incumbents like your, your Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and these guys, and there's folks like George Soros who are shorting uh, crypto companies and banks, uh, Michael Burry as well. So you have your short sellers. And then what the reports were saying is that many of these short sellers are going to DC and they're working with some of these politicians like Elizabeth Warren, and they were targeting like Silvergate Bank SVB and Signature. Um, and then so, uh, part of the narrative and which Elizabeth Warren was pushing was that, oh, crypto is bad. Crypto is bad for the financial markets and the economy. And, and she was putting out letters and tweets and kind of contributed to a bank run. But funny enough, what that supposed bank run and uh, you know, you know the, the crypto narrative started was it exposed the bad balance sheets that these banks had, that it wasn't like a crypto thing. They were suffering from their rate hikes and the bonds and US um, treasury investments and so forth. And and these are regional banks. So they were, you know, they're not the JP Morgans or the cities where they have tons of cash and huge international yeah. presence where they can, you know, withstand some of these hits. So those banks were in a, a really bad shape. And then a domino effect started. And then they were falling, right? And then the Fed has to jump in, the FDIC, and and you know bail them out behind the scenes, not using taxpayer dollars, but just hitting the money printer and uh, backing up all those deposits and so forth. So that's where we find ourselves in. It's the narrative has shifted far away from crypto now. That crypto is the problem that caused Silvergate to collapse. No, um, did the did Silvergate, a very crypto friendly bank, take losses some last year? Of course. But if you look at the balance sheet, the majority of losses are from uh, the bonds and the interest rates and so forth. And, and obviously, we saw that with SVB as well. Yeah. And, you know, something I want to highlight with that, and I think the narrative has always tried to, what you said, to be that it's crypto related. And of course, the FTX was the perfect storm for that to, to truly um, take place. But... What I think most people don't understand uh, is that there's not a lot of crypto-friendly banks. It takes, you know, there's a lot of hassle and a lot of struggle that these companies and founders have to go through to be able to um, find spaces and banks where they can not put their cryptocurrency, but like regular, <laughs> like, you know, payroll or yeah, regular yeah. expenses and things like that. So, um, and I feel like not a lot of people know this and it's really important to highlight, but then as you were mentioning, I think because of that, would you say that this is like the operation, um, choke, choke point 2.0 that everyone's 
referring to? Yeah, I think this is certainly part of it where you're seeing a coordinated effort by multiple government agencies to roadblock crypto. And that includes the SEC, um, the New York Attorney General has been doing stuff. Um, and the OCC is trying to backtrack on things Brian Brooks did in 2020, greenlighting banks, the ability to hold digital assets in crypto. So there's a big pushback. And the source that I spoke to, the former regulator, he was saying, this is coming from the Biden administration. And once again, all politics aside, I don't think this is a Democrat-specific issue. I just yeah. think it's incumbents, and that could, that includes Republicans and, and Democrats, pushing back on this. Um, and they had they got the narrative and they got the the, the, the fire lit under them because of what Sam Bankman-Fried did. Um, and then part of it also, what I was told, is that the Fed is really, they're concerned about stable coins because they're going to eventually introduce the CBDC. Yeah. Uh, and they don't want stable coins to compete with that necessarily. So they're going to try to control the market on stable coins. Who can issue, show us your reserves, and um, who knows if those companies like Circle and so forth have to get F FDIC insurance for their reserves. So there's a lot of things at play here. And you know, I'm reminded of that quote, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight <laughs> you, then you win. And I think we're in a fight stage. We didn't see this in 2017. We didn't see this in 2020 and so forth. Uh, now, and when the crypto is down, we're in a bear market, things are tight all around in the financial markets, the attack is on. Yeah, I mean, I want to do a parenthesis here. Um, I don't think we've spoken about what CBDCs are, which is like the central digital, um, central bank digital currency. Can you elaborate a tiny bit on what that is in case maybe a lot of people don't know? Sure. So CBDCs are essentially tokenized fiat currency. So your dollars that you hold in your pocket in a digital form. When some people may say, well, hey, money's already digital. I can Venmo you. I can PayPal you. Yeah. Yes, but that's not an instant settlement thing. Uh, you have to understand how the back end of moving money works between different banks. It's not instant. Um, because these banks have to communicate with each other and then you know every week or every day they have to settle because uh you can imagine there's billions of transactions happen around the world and you have to make sure whatever it's a database or actual wiring of money there's accounting that needs to happen there's a ledger well cbdc's on or excuse me, or exists on the blockchain, the same tech that Bitcoin's built uh, built on, and Ethereum and the other cryptos. So the government's taking blockchain tech, putting the money on there, and they will be able to settle instantly with that because it's verifiable because of the blockchain. You can trust it because of the blockchain, right? They're taking yeah. that tech that Bitcoin has, and uh, the benefits are, are being pushed into the fiat currency. So. The goal of the CBDC is to move money faster and make the markets more liquid and to eliminate all of the antiquated processes of moving money and settlement. Once again, you as the end user, you Venmo somebody, you don't care, right? Yeah. So Venmo, but the, at the end of the day, Venmo has to go through, oh, you sent your, you took your money out of Chase and then you sent it to Vanessa and then Vanessa is going to send it to her Citibank account. There's a whole process behind that. And, and think about cross-border now, not even within the United States. So it's complex um, in money. The, the, whole, the rails are complex and in settlement and tracking and so forth. And CBDCs are going to essentially eliminate a lot of that. And 
uh, you have the real time movement of money and settlement of money. Yeah, I mean, I think this has, and there's a lot of question around this specifically too, because there's fear, especially in the in the in the crypto um, world of what this really means and how much more controlling um, the government can be of that and. And it's it just there's a lot of questions here, but moving forward, I think that what we were talking about what happened with um, SVB and Signature um, is this kind of what really why Balaji um, <laughs> <laughs> made that bet? So for for the ones that are um, not familiar, he is the former CTO of Coinbase and among many other things, he's really well respected, a really mm -hmm. great thought leader. Um, and he made a bet. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I love for you to elaborate on this. Yeah. So Balaji, incredibly smart guy. If you ever heard this guy talk, I mean, he's incredibly smart. I've learned a lot from him and he was also a partner at Andreessen Horowitz, yeah. um, you know, making big investments in crypto and other tech um, companies as well. So Balaji, it, it, you know, highlighted some great facts about this banking crisis and what's going to happen. So I mentioned before that the Fed, they're bailing out these banks mm -hmm. behind the scenes, right? They're saying it's FDIC money, but we know the FDIC doesn't have the money to cover it. They're just printing, right? The database, boom, 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 yep. send it to the bank. Um, so Balaji saying, hey, all this printing is going to cause hyperinflation. Um, and he's saying within a 90-day window, because of hyperinflation, um, we expect Bitcoin to go to a million dollars. So the thesis behind that is that the more money they print, we've seen historically, um, the higher asset prices go. That includes stocks, crypto, real estate, yeah. and so forth. That's been the history of this debt-based system since we came off the gold standard for the most part. So the more they print, the more assets, asset prices go up. But if they print at an incredibly rapid rate, right? And they, the, the Fed increases their balance sheet and the debt ceiling has to keep rising. Balaji's betting that there's going to be hyperinflation and that uh, Bitcoin will see that growth because a lot of investors, treasuries and so forth will move capital into Bitcoin. Now, the caveat with that is I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. I believe Bitcoin's price is going to go high. I think it's a great marketing campaign by Balaji. Um, but I think Bitcoin to a million will happen maybe 10, 15 years from now. And I don't think yeah. hyperinflation will happen in 90 days. And I don't think the United States is going to allow hyperinflation to happen. I think they're going to keep kicking the can down the road and print money. I don't think we're going to be like, you know, countries like Venezuela and so forth. Yeah. And I mean, I think. I kind of sat with this. Well, first of all, my, I love Bitcoin. So when he said that, I'm like, buy Bitcoin. Because <laughs> so, I'm like, if someone big is saying that naturally, it's going to it's going to move. And a lot of people are going to do probably what I did. Um, but first of all, hyperinflation, hyperinflation, like that is unheard of, right? Like if something like that were to happen, there's so much so much implications, so many people affected. And I, I like, hopefully like that definitely is not, not the case, but I sat with what he was saying. I'm like, what is his intent really behind this? Right. Like, um, like what, what's the whole point? And I, and I'm curious if also like there's maybe more urgency also for people to become educated on what's actually happening in the banking system. I'm going to take that 
that side but there's many different sides of course and benefits that he also has but i think it's a lot of it's really important for you to understand what's actually happening in in with the banks and as a small business or as somebody like i think about my parents that have worked really hard and have you know money in smaller banks and how this really is going to affect them and then also to diversify yourself a little bit more so curious to get your thoughts on as to why he wants, he's making this bet. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, to your point, many layers to this and we peel back the different layers on the onion here. One, Balaji is of course, bullish on Bitcoin and crypto. Um, yeah. pretty obvious he was at Coinbase. He's, he was investing in it at Andreessen Horowitz and he's right to call out that people should diversify into Bitcoin and these different assets. Now that's not to say you go put your whole 401k or your savings no, by no means don't do that. But it's it's kind of like, you know, if you're holding gold, you're holding it as a hedge and a safe haven against the banking crisis and the inflation and the money printing, right? Yeah. So his thesis is right. The the devils, the, excuse me, the details are, in, or the devil's in the details. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and that is, um, his timeline, I think, is a bit off. But I think he's he did that to get the attention, people's attention. Yeah. Hey, look at what's happening here. Right, like pay attention uh, because forget about your Netflix show for a second. Forget about the Kardashians for a second. Forget about the soccer game later today. You need to be aware of what's happening with the banking system because there is a uh, banking crisis happening, but they're printing money behind the scenes to fix yeah. it. But that's not good. That's that's going to hurt you and your savings. That's depleting your purchase ability, uh, purchase ability over time. The money sitting in your bank, it's losing value. So Bitcoin is a a, a haven, and, and and diversifying into crypto can help you to grow your your wealth and your money. Um, once again, don't recommend putting your life savings into this yeah. diversification. And uh, I hold stocks. I hold a little bit of gold. I have uh, an investment real estate property, so I'm diversified that way. So the idea is is you want to look at assets, right, to avoid holding too much cash, which is going to get depleted by inflation. Um, and then crypto and Bitcoin is new. So I think Balaji's marketing campaign, as I would call it, is a great one. Um, but you have to, of course, be smart, risk mitigation, don't invest more than you're willing to lose because it's still young and volatile. Uh, yeah. And I think it's it's a marketing campaign. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fa and also I think it's like if you want to encourage anyone to learn or know what's going on, you say, hey, hyperinflation is going to happen in the next 10 years. It, everyone's like, I'm going to worry then. Right. <laughs> like exactly. that's, and, and like it's not only that, but it creates urgency. It's like, you know, polarity from any way that you look at it. Um, but I, I just want to re- one of his tweets that he posted um, five days ago, and he's like, just as in 2008, the bankers lied. <laughs> the time the central bankers, this time the central bankers, the banks, and the bank regulators have lied to all dollar holders and depositors. This isn't your typical fractional reserve situation. The problem is that there isn't enough in the banks on a mark to on a mark to market basis to cover withdrawals. They knew this. Th they knew this through all of the last year and communicated internally in their coded language. So this is just like a little piece and a little snippet. And I think what you said, 
he brings a lot of great points and it's an opportunity for everyone to do their research, to understand a little bit more and then find balance because you can easily spiral once you go, once you understand this and, and you trust the government. That's kind of like what we were thought to do and brought up and yeah. they have our, you know, our money safe. Um, well, I come also from Colombia where my dad's like, my money is safe under the couch <laughs> or <laughs> under the mattress. And, um, and then it's, it, you know, you still don't understand the concept of what that does to your dollar. And, um, but yeah, so I wanted to just discuss this. Thank you so much for kind of like going back and forth. I, I, it was just enlightening as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a great discussion to have and, you know, everybody should know what's happening now. It's, it's not the days of, um, it's not the eighties, it's not the seventies, sixties and so forth where, you know, cash and, and the, the value of the dollar was still relatively high where yeah. the purchase power was still decent. The, the inflation and the devaluing of the dollar is at a rapid pace right now. They printed more money than in the history of the United States in the COVID situation. Um, now, this is not a conversation about, you know, that pandemic and so forth, but the, you can't print that much money without the dollar debasing. Um, so that is going to be a problem. And I think people also have to realize how the system works. It's not that capitalism is bad or um, the, the government's trying to do something bad, but a lot of wealthy folks, a lot of investors, they put their money, a lot of their money in assets because the assets grow the more they print money. And and it doesn't have to be crypto, just, just to be fair, right? Uh, people invest in real estate stocks and, and they put it into an ETF with the S&P and they can, that grows over time, right? So even though they have their cash in the bank for emergencies and day-to-day living and all that, um, that's there, but their assets are growing over time. And, and I think we've all seen the stories of people investing in stocks back in the day um, and then now it's valued at really great amount. So your bank account can grow at that same rate, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's actually what, not happening going yeah, backwards. Yeah. The, bank, the banks can't pay you uh, or do anything. Uh, and we see they're hurting now. So you can imagine what, what can they give you as far as interest rates? So you have to diversify into assets. And uh, the fastest horse in the race, as Paul Tudor Jones put it in 2020, is crypto. It's moving at a rapid pace because... It's not limited to the United States. It's not the U.S. real estate market. It's a global yeah. asset class. And there's no gatekeeper as far as you have to be an accredited investor. Okay, Vanessa, you have to become show me, you know, a accredited investor. Show me your tax returns and blah, 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 right? No, you could put 10 bucks into Bitcoin. You could put 10 yeah. bucks every month into Bitcoin. And you're part of the same asset class that a billionaire whale is holding uh, Bitcoin and other cryptos. So diversification and uh, being aware of what's happening with the money is so important now because they're printing at a rapid pace. Now, tinfoil hat on, right? A little bit of conspiracy <laughs> here. Uh, I am not a conspiracy theorist by no means, but you see certain things and you're like, mm, what's happening here? I think they're going to use CBDCs to help fix a lot of the financial problems that we've had historically. Mm. I think that's going to be the new system. Um, it, will it solve every problem that we've had? No, but it's going to uh, fix most of it where you're not going to have these 2008 collapses, right? The, the two, you've had market crashes in the past. You've had recessions yeah. in the past, but 
2008 was really bad. You had to go bail out the banks. You had to bail out airlines. You had to bail out car manufacturing. How many times can you keep doing that? That, that that's not sustainable, right? And, yeah. and I, I don't think people realize. And look, we all have lives. We all we're all trying to survive. We're all trying to live, right? We all got you know, if we got kids and so forth, we have life to to do. But that was really a significant significant time in history. Um, and they are, I think they're going to use the CBDC system and blockchain to fix a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, when you say conspiracy theorists, it's so funny because <laughs> I think like anyone that now asks questions or poses a thesis is like conspiracy theorists. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I think we, we can use some healthy critical thinking and discussion um, rather than just, you know, saying that. And also I think like, I don't know how many of us truly does like their due diligence. And, I, you know, I've learned a lot. And I think this is one of the things that I love about Bitcoin and about crypto, that it's allowed me to expand my understanding in a lot of subjects that I didn't yeah. before. And um, now I know how little I know of things. And I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> I need to get better and I need to understand. And yeah, so... I mean, it's going to be really curious. Uh, I think, I don't know if you recall before Balaji tweeted, um, Bitcoin was, I think, around 19,000. Yeah, it was like that 19, 20, 21 20. range. Yeah. Yeah. And like right now, as we speak, it's 28,000. Oh, well, 27,000 now. The Fed, the Fed statements drove it down a bit, but I, 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 from the charts, if the technical analysis standpoint, it's nothing to um to be concerned about. If it dropped to like twenty five thousand, I'd be like, okay, all right, slow down. Yeah, but this little pullback, it, it was almost due for that because you had such a massive green candle on the charts, right? A, yeah. a strong move like that often is followed by a, a pullback, right? Because you have to, nothing goes up in a straight line, so it has to build yeah. support levels. Um. So I, I think Bitcoin's going to still keep going, and and uh, it, it's similar to what we saw in 2019, where after the bear market bottom in 2018, you had a rally up, a very strong one, and then we're going to have a pullback. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited. So when this pot um this session comes out, we'll see where we're at. Maybe we'll laugh at what we're saying. Maybe <laughs> we'll be a little more scared because everything's a little more true. Um, but I we are wrapping up. And I kind of want to like, again, pivot a little bit. Um, one of the things that I love to do is just end um, the session on what I call a lightning round. So I ask you a series of questions sure. and you can answer them as best as you can and without thinking too much about them. Are you ready? Sure. Cool. Okay. What's your favorite book? Um, I would say The Things They Carried. Um, it was a book I read in high school that had it was about the vietnam war and so forth and it had an impact on me and it's not a famous book it's not uh anything but i i would say it opened up my understanding um so i would say the things they carried um your go-to drink uh i would say an old-fashioned mm. one piece of advice to share with the world right now um because I've been on this mental health journey and therapy and so forth is to uh, be thankful and um, to, to, yeah, I would say be thankful, be thankful for what you have and, and be mindful of, of the things, the blessings that you have. Mm. And um, what's maybe the dumbest financial decision you made? <laughs> uh, FOMOing 
into crypto when a buddy told me about it in 2016, but more so, you know, at the peak of the market in 2017, buying the top. Mm. But I learned my lesson <laughs> and I never did that again. Oh, we learned so many lessons in this space. <laughs> um, what's one thing you can't stand? I would say uh, disingenuous people. Um, I, 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 I would rather people be honest, you know, and, and be upfront. And even if you're, you're not in agreement with me, you're honest and I can appreciate that. Mm. And your favorite place on earth? Uh, I'm going to have to say Venice, Italy. Uh, I, if I, if I was like filthy rich, I would have a place in Venice, Italy <laughs> and I would go there and drive around my boat and having good Italian food. Oh yeah. I love Italian food. Okay. Last question is what do you love most about yourself? Oh man, that's, uh, I, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> that was always a kicker. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, I would say maybe my ambition. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, say so. Cause at least it helps me to not get stuck and to keep moving. Mm. Well, thank you, Tony, for taking the time, for being so insightful, for sharing your thoughts and connecting. I'm sure that like my community is going to absolutely love this episode. Um, where can people hang out with you? Yeah, sure. So Thinking Crypto Podcast, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, on Twitter as well, or pretty much all the social media platforms. Yeah. Well, be sure to, I'll add, of course, your, your, to the show notes, all of your information. But if you like this episode, share with someone, um, yeah, whether they're crypto curious or they want to know more and have a good time and see you next time. 